I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today is another in a long series called 20 Years, 20 Podcasts, which is very inaccurately named since it's been more than 20 podcasts. But um, what happened was, um, many years back, uh, on the 20th anniversary of the game, I, at uh, one of the world competitions, I did a video where I spent 20 minutes talking about the 20 years, one year, one minute per year, uh, and that inspired this series in which I take each year of Magic since its creation in 1993 and have dedicated a whole year to talking about what happened in that year. Um, so we are up to 2015. Um, obviously, I'm getting pretty close to modern day, so I will continue to do this series, uh, but at a much slower rate than I once was. Okay, so we go back to the year 2015. So on January 17th was the pre-release, and January 23rd was the release of Fates Reforged, codenamed Dewey. So it had 185 cards, um, 70 commons, 60 uncommons, 35 rares, and 10 mythic rares. Um, so it, it was the continuation of Cons of Tarkir, um, the, the Huey to uh, Fates Dewey. Um, so basically what happened was, if you remember it in Kanzatark here, there were five factions. Uh, and each of the factions was wedge-related, meaning it was three colors, which was uh, a color and its two enemies. So um, the idea is um, Sarkin, Sarkin Vol was the main character. Uh, he had returned home to his world, his warlord-turned-world, where uh, dragons had been killed off. And he always loved the dragons and feel like that the, the loss of the dragons was a, a cruel twist to the world. Well, he gets the opportunity to travel back in time, and Fate Reforged is back in time. Um, so the way this worked was, Fate Reforged was a small set, Constantia was a large set, Dragons of Zarkir, which we'll talk about a little later in this thing, was also a large set. Fate Reforged was drafted with either set. And to make that make sense, we had a story with an altered timeline. So what happens is Sarkin goes back in time, and he changes something. What does he change? Well, um, Nicole Bolas and Ugin are having a major dragon fight. And uh, what happens in the original timeline is Nicole Bolas wins and kills Ugin. And Ugin, it turns out there's a special property to uh, Tarkir that um, dragons aren't born in a traditional sense on Tarkir. They come from these dragon tempests. And without Ugin there, the tempests stop happening. So Ugin's death leads to no more new dragons. And so once the dragons die, the humans once the humans figure out there's no more dragons, they they manage to kill them off. And then there's a world without dragons. Um, well, he goes back in time, uh, and he ends up saving Ugin. Uh, Bolas still thinks he kills Ugin because he saves Ugin after Bolas leaves, but. Um, he manages to put him in, in a cocoon. And so actually, Ugin doesn't wake up till modern day, uh, but he does save him, and, and, and by saving him, saves the dragons. So when he comes back, there's a different timeline. The dragons aren't dead. In fact, the dragons are running everything. Um, so in this set, there were six mechanics. Uh, Kanzatar Kir had six mechanics. They had Morph, and they had a mechanic for each of the five guilds. Uh, not guilds, sorry. Uh, five clans, I think we called them. Um, so what happens when you go back in time is, first off, instead of morph, there's a, a proto-morph we called manifest. So what manifest was is, when you played a manifest card, you would take the top card of wherever it told you, usually your library, uh, and place it face down. And then, if it was a creature, you have the ability to um, pay its mana cost to turn it face up. So it's kind of like, it's morph-ish, kind of a proto-morph. Um, then what we did is, the idea is, there's two splinter timelines. So what we, mechanically, what we did is, three of the mechanics are the mechanics that you would see in Khans of Tarkir, and two are mechanics that you won't see in Dragons, or, you know, the, that timeline. So the idea is you see mechanics from both timelines is the idea. So from Khans, we brought back uh, Prowess um, for uh, White, Red, Blue, called Jeskai. Uh, brought back Delve for Sultai, which was uh, blue, black, green. And we brought back Ferocious, which was Teemer, which is red, green, blue. Um, but the, uh, let's see, who was? The, um, uh, the Obzon had a different mechanic called Bolster. Um, oh, real quickly. Uh, 
prowess, which you guys hopefully should know, became evergreen, is whenever you cast a non-creature spell, creature gets plus one, plus one. Delve gets cheaper if you um, remove cards from your graveyard. You can use that to lessen the spells. Ferocious is a bonus if you have a creature that has power four or more. Uh, Bolster, uh, put plus one, plus one counters on your... Is it lowest toughness creature? Is it lowest power or lowest toughness? I think it's the lowest toughness creature. Uh, and then Dash was the Mardu mechanic, uh, red, black, white. Uh, I should mention, by the way, because this is proto-world, um, the guilds are primary in two colors and splash in a third. So the mechanics, for example, I think just go in the two primary colors. Anyway, Dash is um, a creature mechanic that you can cast these creatures for a different cost, and if you do, usually lower. Um, they, they enter with haste, but then they return at end of turn to hand. Um, and there's a bunch of different fun things we did with Dash. Um, so anyway, um, this was chock full of stuff. Uh, the set was led, but the design was led by, um, uh, Ken Nagel. Uh, I gave it to him because he was one of my most senior people, because this is a really complicated design. Um, we made use of hybrid technology, because the weird thing was, it had a draft fine with Konzatark here, which was a wedge set, and then it had a draft well with Dragonstark here, which was an ally color set. And so how do you make cards that both feel like they belong with a three color and feel like they belong with a two color? And the solution was, uh, one of the solutions was hybrid mana. Um, so we made use of cards that like were three color, but you didn't need all three colors to play, for example. Um, but anyway, that was Fate Reforged. So shortly after, on February 6th to the 8th, was Pro Tour Fate Reforged in Washington, D.C., so it had, uh, its formats were Modern and uh, Constant Tarkir, Face of Tarkir, Booster Draft. So the first of the Booster Drafts was planned for the block. Um, uh, this is the point where most of the Pro Tours had been standard, but uh, at the time, I think we still did one mod. We don't, we don't do the modern anymore, but at the time we used to do one modern Pro Tour. This was it. Um, so in it, Antonio del Moral Leon from Spain defeats Justin Cohen from the United States. Um, then, February 27th was Dual Decks, Elsbeth versus Kiora. Um, so the way Dual Decks work is once a year we have, um, a Planeswalker versus Planeswalker matchup, and then the other one usually was tied to the fall release. Um, so, uh, the reason Elsbeth versus Kiora, I think the thing is we go back a year, so this was looking at Planeswalkers from Theros, and I think we were trying to figure out Planeswalkers that hadn't yet been in a dual deck before. Um, so we were kind of limited in our choices. And uh, it's not really that Elspeth and Kira, in the story, um, I'm not sure. I mean, sometimes because of the dual deck, they'll, they'll make sure the characters meet in the story. Sometimes they'll, they'll try to get the characters to actually have a fight in the story. Um, I'm not sure if Elspeth met Kiora. Uh, and if, if she did, it was only because this, exi- this product existed. Um, usually what we try to do is when we can come up with a good battle, like a good conflict, um, we do. So, for example, um, there's been a couple in the past where there, it was a legit conflict between the, between the, um, between the parties. And so, um, you know, it, like them fighting actually made sense. Like in the story, they really did fight. Or they at least had a lot of animosity toward each other. Um, this one is interesting in that yeah, okay, Elspeth's the good guy, and Kiora's not the good guy. Uh, she's, she's sort of more, uh, I don't know, chaotic neutral in some way. But, uh, um, but I mean, I, I maybe, maybe they find the story for this. I, I don't remember. But, uh, um, but anyway, uh, I didn't write it down. I, I assume, I didn't write the colors down. I assume Kiora's deck is blue-green because she's blue-green, and Elspeth is either mono-white or white splash a second color. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I did not write it down. Um, okay, on March 21st is the pre-release, and March 27th is the release of Dragons of Tarkir, a.k.a. Louie. So, uh, so Huey doing Louie real quick, just for those who don't know. That's the code names of these three sets. Um, uh, that was the, the, the three nephews of Donald Duck. Donald Duck has three triplet nephews, um, that all look the same, except wear different colored shirts and caps. Um, and, um, I thought it was a cute name at the time. Uh, I turned out it was a horrible name for a couple reasons. First off, not everybody know Donald Duck's nephew. So, 
Um, the order Huey, Dewey, and Louie was like I picked it because if you know the if you read the comics or watch the cartoons, they are always referred to as Huey, Dewey, and Louie in that order. So I'm like, oh, they have a clear set order. The problem was not enough people. I mean, a few of them, a lot of people didn't even know who they were, and a few of them got their Donald Duck's nephews, but had no idea what the order was. Um, and the problem was that they rhymed. So they were really easy to confuse with one another. So people didn't know the order. The fact they rhymed made the interconnection of them confusing. And for those who don't know, they're all spelled differently. Huey is H-U-E-Y, Dewey is D-E-W-E-Y, and Louie is L-O-U-I-E. So they're all spelled differently. So it's not even like they're spelled the same. So anyway, it caused massive confusion. We made a rule that said stop having rhyming names as keyword names, although we would have a few after that, even though we made that rule. Um... Not on purpose, just uh, lock and stock, for example. Lock, stock, and barrel, lock and stock rhymed. And then we had, like, tears and fears. Um, but anyway, it proved to be a very bad codename. Okay, the set had 264 cards, 140, 101 commons, 80 uncommons, 53 rares, and 15 mythics. Had 15 lands. Um, so, so the way it worked was we're now in the alternate timeline. So... Um, and this was ally-colored. Originally, by the way, it was going to be enemy-colored because players have been clamoring for an enemy-colored set and I wanted to deliver it to them. Plus, we had never done enemy-colored dragons. Um, and I thought it'd be cool to do enemy-colored dragons. Turns, turns out we had never done legendary ally-colored dragons either. So, but, but anyway, um, so what happened was uh, I wanted enemy-colored, but as we started working on the draft structure, which was wedge and then becoming whatever this became, um, Eric Lauer came to me and said, here's the problem. The correct way to draft Wedge is to draft enemy color because their enemy ties into two different Wedge, you know. If, if, I, if I draft an ally color, then I'm, I, I'm really committing to one Wedge. But if I draft enemy color, then I'm open to two Wedges. And so the correct strategy for drafting um, Concertark here was to draft enemy, enemy color. So his concern was, if we made this enemy color, the draft would be too similar. So I knew Eric was correct. So I changed, we changed it to Ally. Um, I promise you, the, the people that keep clamoring for... Cause we've only done one enemy color set in the history of Magic, which was Apocalypse, which is a long time ago. Uh, and I know that we are shy on legendary things of enemy color, that we've done a lot more Ally stuff. And so people are always clamoring for an enemy set. I promise you we will get there eventually. Uh, I, I tried for it to be this set, but for mechanical reasons, it did not work. Okay, so what happened in this set was... Um, so in Kondatark here, we had five factions. They were Wedge. Um, so Obzon had Outlast. Jeskai had Prowess. Um, uh, who was next? Is uh, Sultai had Delve. Um, uh, Mardu had um, Raid. And um, Teemer had Ferocious. So what we wanted to do was we wanted Dragons to have five completely different mechanics, but mechanics that played nicely with mechanics that showed up in the first block. And then we wanted to have a Morph variant. So the idea was we had Morph, then Proto-Morph, and this was, was supposed to be Future Morph. Um, and we tried a whole bunch of different Morph variants. We ended up going with Megamorph, which means that you cast it, uh, and a Megamorph, when you turn face up, uh, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So uh, the idea is... If you cast it through, through its morph, you, it gets to be a little bit bigger than if you just outright cast it. Um, it was an offshoot of something we called Smorph. So what Smorph was is instead of playing three mana for a 2-2, two, two, you played four mana for a 3-3. Three, three. What you did is you put it face down and put a plus one plus one counter on it. Um, the problem with that was that it, it couldn't be you couldn't mix it with Morph and Manifest because the audience knew it was a Smorph card. So it got killed for being incompatible in retrospect, I wish... Uh, I'm not sure how often it matters that you, you, you play a morph or a mega morph and people don't know which it is, so... Anyway, I'm sad we didn't do smorph. Uh, people didn't like the name. Uh, Megamorph rated really low in our... I mean, like, one of the bottom ever rated mechanics. Now, the funny thing is it plays well. It saw tournament play. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually a good mechanic. Um, I think the name was a little goofy, and I think people's expectations were a lot more grandiose. Because we went back in time and did a really different variant. Manifest is a really different morph variant. And we went to the future and people felt like we just didn't do enough of a difference. Um, 
Okay, so then what we did is each one of the keywords fit in with, um, it was synergistic with the wedge keyword. And the idea being is, let's say I have a wedge clan deck I made, that when you get this thing, it fits into that deck if you wanted to. I mean, you could, so for example, let's say I, I, I'm playing a Jeskai deck and then I get Ojitai. Um, Ojitai is white and blue. Well, it fits into your red, white, blue deck. So it, it fits into it, um, was the idea. So, um, okay, so let's run through. So Obzon was Outlast. Um, and so this set was Bolster. I just talked about Bolster being in Paper Forage. So Bolster generated plus one, plus one counters. Outlast also generated plus one, plus one counters. And there are a whole bunch of mechanic cards that cared about plus one, plus one counters. So it's sort of these two played together nicely. Um, then um, Jeskai turns into Ojutai. Jeskai was all about... Um, um, prowess, and it turns into rebound, which was our our, our repeat mechanic from what was it from? Uh, Champions come and go. What was it from? I'm blanking when it's from. Um, anyway, what it does is it, they're sorcerers' instance that when you play it, they they happen again next turn. Well, prowess cares about non um, non creature spells being played. Well, this in one card gets you two spells. So it works really well with prowess. Then um, uh, Sultai had delve, which had things where you um, use the graveyard as a resource. Uh, then uh, from all the dragon names, uh, black blue was exploit, which is a mechanic that said when this enters the battlefield, it, it was on creatures. If you sacrifice a creature, you get an effect out of it. And the idea was. Uh, in a vacuum, this creature could turn into a spell, essentially, because you could just sack itself. But if you had a, a cheaper creature that was less, of, you know, you didn't want, you could sacrifice that to get the spell, spell effect. Um, then uh, Teemer had Ferocious, and uh, Red-Green was Formidable. Um, so Ferocious got an upgrade if you had a creature that had power four or greater, and Formidable got upgraded if you had a combined power of eight or greater. So it, it looked at all your creatures rather than just one. But but obviously, if you were able to, you know, if you're, you're halfway to formidable, if you could do ferocious. So both really wanted you to have a, a lot of creatures. Uh, and then the last one, uh, you had raid in um, the first set, and then we had dash, which was the upgrade mechanic where you could get haste and attack the turn you played it. Uh, and so raid and dash played nice together. Um, so the funny thing about Dragons of Tarkir was we really thought that, like, that people were going to go gaga for, oh, it's all dragons all the time, dragon, 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 dragon. And the funny thing is we had made a world that people liked so much in um, Khans of Tarkir that people really liked the clans that when we sort of, when you know, Sarkin altered the timeline and, and brought back dragons, the players were sad that we had sort of killed the clans, um... And so what we were hoping people for is like, yay, dragons! They were like, oh, really? Oh, why did Sarkin change the timeline? So it didn't quite, uh, didn't quite pan out the way we hoped. I mean, dragons are real popular. Uh, when you do our market research, it's like, it's like the most powerful creature type by far. I'm sorry, most fa uh, popular creature type by far. Um, I think angels is number two. And goblins is number three, for those that care. Um, okay, so um, on April 10th through the 12th in Brussels... Uh, Belgium was standard. I'm mean, not standard. Was Pro Tour Dragons of Tarkir, uh, and the formats were standard and Dragons of Tarkir Fate Reforged draft. So now you got to do the second. So e each timeline got its own draft at a Pro Tour. Um, so at at uh, in Brussels uh, in at Pro Tour Dragons of Tarkir, uh, Martin Dang of Denmark defeated Shota Yasuka of Japan. So Yasuka, for those who might not know, he's a Hall of Famer. He also was the 2006 Player of the Year, um, so that was a pretty high octane finals. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, May 6 was Tempest Remastered. Uh, now that was an online only product. Um, so what we did was we took all of Tempest blocks, so Tempest uh, Stronghold and Exodus, and we remade it using modern development technology. Uh, and so the trick was that they were allowed to take any cards they wanted from the whole Tempest block to make a cool, modern drafting experience. The only caveat was 
they couldn't change anything about the cards. The only tool available to them was they could... Now, they were able to change rarities, and they were able to use cards from anywhere else in the whole block, but they made a large set worth of cards for a drafting experience. Um, so the set ended up being 269 cards, 101 commons, 80 uncommons, 53 rares, 15 mythics, 20 lands. So it was, it was changed to modern-day sizes. Um, sets were actually slightly bigger back then. Um, so it was changed to modern, had modern rarities to it. Um, um, it really was a fun experiment to sort of see what you could do. Like I said, the fact that they, only, they could only use cards that pre-existed, that were from the block, meant that they didn't have, you know... A lot of times if you want to do something, you can just change the card. Oh, we're missing a 3-drop? Fine, this 4-drop becomes a 3-drop. Couldn't do that there. Um, I believe the person who designed this, I think, was Adam Prozac. Um, oh, Dragon Stark here, by the way, uh, the lead designer was um, Mark Gottlieb. Um, I don't... Not that lead developers aren't really important, just I don't know them off the top of my head and I did not write them down. So, because um, I'm in charge of design, I, I know who did things because I was, you know... That, that, that's what I interacted with. Uh, I think Dragon Stark here... I know Content Stark here had been Eric Lauer leading the development. And Dragon Stark here, I'm pretty sure, was Dave Humphreys. Um, oh, no, no, no. He did Fate Reforged. Uh, Dave did Fate Reforged. And I think Tom Lapilli did Dragon Stark here. I think, actually, it might have been a combination of Tom and Dave did Dragon Stark here. I think Dave did Fate Reforged, and then Tom and Dave together did Dragon Stark here. Um, uh, and Tempest Remastered, I don't know. I mean, there was a design team that then handed off to the development team, or maybe they were all, maybe for that product it was just one. Adam Prozac, I think, led that. So I think he might have been the design and the development. I, the, the development's a little less important in a product in which all the cards have already been tested. Um, I mean, there's some development to be done, obviously, but not quite as much as a, a product in which you've never seen the cards before. Um... And people ask me all the time, is Tempest Remastered ever going to come to paper? Like, would we ever take that product and print paper versions? Um, the one thing stopping us is ah, the reserve list. Um, about 80% of the rares in those blocks um, are on the reserve list. And I don't... I, I'm, there's no way to make this product without making some cards on the reserve list. There were enough restraints on it already. So, uh, anyway, Tempest Remastered will not be a for paper product. Um... But it was fun. I don't know how often... I mean, it, by the time we're talking now, things come on for X amount of time. Um, maybe it's the kind of thing every once in a blue moon they, they do a like, nostalgia draft. I don't know. Anyway, I, 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 uh, before it began, um, Adam came to me to ask... Because I... Tempest was my first set, obviously. Um, and so we walked through what Tempest was up to and the design and what our thoughts were. And um, I gave him some insights into you know, how I thought it clicked together so that he can reimagine it for, you know, he can remaster it. Um, okay, moving on. So May 22nd was Modern Masters 2015 edition. Uh, so I think this was the second Modern Masters, I think. Um, one of the problems with jumping back in the, in, the, in the past, when you have products that are all, you know, Modern Masters 2013 or whatever. Um, in fact, I think the first Modern Masters didn't have a year on it. And then when we did the second, we put a year on it because we had to differentiate them. Um, so Modern Masters started out as a one-time supplemental product thing, proved to be very popular, and we, we've since turned the Master, what we call the Master series, uh, into uh, an annual product. Uh, it's not always Modern Masters. Last year we did Eternal Masters. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's different Masters things. But anyway, this was the second of them. Um, and the Masters was we wanted to get, give people more access to cards from Modern, but we also wanted people to have a fun draft experience that, that sort of allowed you to draft Modern cards. And so Modern Masters was this cross between a, a fun Modern product that also you know, gave people more access to stuff. Um, anyway, uh, Modern Masters... Oh, I didn't write the date down. But we, there was a giant Grand Prix that used Modern Masters. Uh, and I think at the time it was the largest Grand Prix ever. I think it was like a record-setting Grand Prix. Um, there were, I don't remember exactly, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. I think the Grand Prix itself might have had like 3,000 people, I think. I mean, they, they capped out the Grand Prix. Like, they couldn't have any more people. So that's a pretty big... And they were prepared for a lot of people, so that was pretty big. Okay, moving on. So next, July 11th was the pre-release, and July 17th was the release 
of Magic Origins. She didn't have a code name that I, I think it was like M15 or something was the code name. Um, so we had 272 cards, 101 commons, 80 uncommons, 55 rares, and 16 mythic rares, 20 lands. Um, so it had two mechanics, which was Renown, which was Renown had a number after it. And the first time a renowned creature does combat damage to the opponent, you get to put that many plus one plus one counters on it. Um, now some renowned creatures also have you know care about having plus one counters. Um, and then spell mastery went on, I think just interest and sorceries, and it uh, there are spells that upgraded if you had two instants or sorceries in your graveyard. So it's a spell that kind of encouraged you to play instants and sorceries. Um, so. Magic Origins uh, was the start of something new. Um, so we were starting, we were sort of doing a refresh on two different things. We were changing kind of how we were doing the sets. Uh, Dragons of Tarkir was the last of um, what we call the third sets, three set blocks. Uh, for years and years and years, the way Magic did blocks was we had a large set in the fall. These are all you know north, northern hemisphere uh, um, seasons. Uh, we had a, in the fall we would have a large set. In the winter we'd have usually a small set, and in the spring we'd have either a small set or a large set, depending on what we were up to. In the beginning it was always a small set, and eventually we started doing large sets. Um, and we eventually figured out that it wasn't quite working, so we changed to a two-block model. Well, the two-block model was starting with Battle for Zendikar, which I will get to momentarily or eventually in this podcast. Um, we were doing a large set in the fall, a small set in the winter, and then a large set in the spring, and a small set in the summer. And so we were going to be doing two blocks a year. Each block, instead of being two set, three sets, would only be two sets, a large and a small. Um, and uh, starting with Magic Origins, uh, we were also, re, re, not rebooting, but uh, changing up how we were doing the story a little bit. Um, so at the time, we were there were five characters in Magic Origins that you are seeing the origin of. So it's five Planeswalkers. Uh, in white was Gideon, in blue was Jace, in black was Liliana, in red was Chandra, and green was Nyssa. So you did not know it at the time, but these obviously would be the first five members of the Gatewatch uh, who will play or currently playing a major role in the story. Um, and so we were giving you their, their, uh, their origin. So the way the set worked was for each color, or sorry, for each Planeswalker, you got to see where, what plane they originated on, their, their home plane, and you got to see what plane they went to for the very first time when they, they sparked. So for those who don't know how it works, uh, usually sometime in adolescence, but at some point in your life, when you're, you undergo great trauma, um, you, you, your spark will ignite, and you will teleport for your planeswalk for the first time to a different plane. Um, up until that point, usually you had no idea that you, you, there, were, there was a multiverse, um, and, okay, so, and a, as of the set, before the set came out, the only one who, who we knew their home plane was Nyssa, who was from Zendikar, obviously, we knew that. Okay, so Gideon turned out was from Theros, people didn't know that. In uh, his first uh, planeswalk, he sparked to Bant. Um, Jace was originally from Vryn. Um, Vryn had only been mentioned before on, in Plane Chase. Um, the supplemental product where you had the different planes. We introduced a bunch of different planes, and um, two of those show up for the first time in the set. Uh, I think the first time in the set. Um, Jace was from Vryn, and his first uh, planeswalk was to Ravnica. Um, Liliana was from Dominaria, no one knew that, and her first walk was to Innistrad. Um, Chandra was from Kaladesh, a place you guys had never met before. In fact, it was made just for this product, although obviously... As you guys all know, we eventually went there. So we knew when we made this set, we were planning to go there. So we spent some extra energy on Kaladesh because it was part of our plan to be going to Kaladesh. Um, then, um, oh, and she goes to Ragatha, which is kind of a volcanic plane. Um, Ragatha had been also in Plane Chase, just like Vryn had been. Um, but that's the only reference I think you'd seen to those two. Um, and then Nyssa started on Zendikar, which is the one place people knew, and she ended up going to Lorwyn. Um, so really what we were trying to do is show our characters interacting with a bunch of planes people knew. Um, you know, Ravnica, Innistrad, uh, Alara, um, Lorwyn, uh, you know, and uh, so anyway, uh, and now that, we also introduced some new planes. Uh, well, we finally showed off Rin and Ragatha, and we introduced Kaladesh. 
Um, and we had to spend extra energy on Kaladesh because we knew we were going to Kaladesh. So there was a lot of time and energy spent in Magic Origins. But anyway, Magic Origins shows the five origin stories. Oh, and the coolest part about it is we had five Planeswalker, well, five legendary creature cards representing the five characters. And then they transformed, because they were double-faced cards, they, you got to see them spark, and they transformed into Planeswalkers. Now, um, the way we did it is, I think you saw them on the front side, the age at which they first sparked, and you saw them on the back side, modern day. Or the, the, the modern day. Um, so we learned also, for example, that like both Gideon and Chandra were pretty young when they sparked. Um, yeah, they were kids, especially, uh, especially Chandra, who was like 12. She was pretty young. Um, and you learn their story. You also learn about, because we told you their origin story. So what exactly caused each of the characters to spark? Uh, and as we learned, there was trauma in all their lives. Um, Chandra was about to be killed when she sparked, stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. Um, and then there was a theme in the set of growth, because we were watching the characters grow. That's why both Renown and Spellmaster had a flavor of growth to them. Um, now, the set originally, by the way, before we decided to do what we did, um, originally it was going to be a normal core set that had a villain's theme in it. Um, but once we realized that we were the core set was going away as part of the two-block plan and that we um, were going to start this new storyline, we decided to use it as a means to introduce. Um, so Magic Origins is very core set-like, although it's a little more aggressive than a normal core set. Uh, Normal corsets didn't have new mechanics, and this had new mechanics. So it, it wasn't exactly a corset. It was sort of a, we used to call it a, a corset plus. Okay, anyway, that was Magic Origins. Um, and then July 31st, oh, hold on, before I get to that, July 16th, at the same time the set came out, was Deck Builders Toolkit 2015 edition. So what we do is every year um, we put out a Deck Builders Toolkit, which is uh, meant as a product to help a new player. One of the things we know when you're beginning, it's hard to get a lot of cards. So Deck Builders Toolkit is mostly commons and uncommons, but a whole bunch of cards. And so it allows a newer player to just get a lot of cards. It gives you deck themes, and it's, it's way it's put together. There's different clump, um, clumps of cards that push toward different themes to help encourage you to build decks for the first time with you know, thematic decks. And that came on July 17th. Anyway, then July 31st through August 2nd was Pro Tour Magic Origins in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, the formats were Standard and Orange, Origins Booster Draft. And there, Joel Larson of Sweden defeats Mike Sigrist of the USA. So Mike Sigrist uh, was the 2014-2015 Player of the Year. Uh, Joel Larson was a longtime pro from Sweden. I think this was his first win at a Pro Tour, I believe. Um, but anyway, two really good players played in the finals um, in Canada, in, in uh, Vancouver. Um, and then, let's see, August 21st was From the Vault Angels. So when we first made the product From the Vault, uh, it was a brainchild of one of our uh, magic uh, brand managers. Uh, no, uh, uh, I think now he's a brand director. Um, he came up with the idea as a product to sort of show off the collecting of magic, make something cool for the stores. Uh, and the very first one we made was From the Vault Dragons. And Elaine, who is... Uh, another brand manager now, the VP of um, Magic Brand, um, she really was uh, wanted to do a From the Vault Angels. And she encouraged us. She wanted the follow-up From the Vault Dragons to be From the Vault Angels. But we were like, we really want to mix it up. We, if we just do, always do creature types, then people believe that's what it is. And so I think the second one was Exiled, um, cards that have been banned and restricted. Um, but anyway, we promised Elaine that one day we would get to Angels. And finally, we came true on our word. So, uh, finally, From the Vault Angels. Um, so, it had 15 angels. I didn't write down the angels or anything, but uh, it's... Uh, and there's some that, like, we, we, we managed to get um, some versions of art you haven't seen. Some, some is brand new art, but some, like Sarah, was art that we had used, but had, you know, either had never printed on a card, or I think maybe it was only a promo card. But anyway, if you love angels, that was for you, From the Vault Angels. Um... Okay, uh, and then on August 28th, we had dual decks, Zendikar versus Eldrazi. So our custom uh, um, at the time was that the fall dual decks would be tied into the fall set. So the fall set was Battle for Zendikar. So um, we, uh, we had been there before. 
Turns out, by the way, that it's hard to lead into a set where you haven't been there before. We luckily had been to Zendikar, so we had a whole block of Zendikar cards to play around with to make these decks. Um, when you're going to a brand new world, it's a lot more challenging because you just don't have cards from that world. But anyway, this was trying to show up the fight that the battle for Zendikar was all about a battle between the Zendikari and the Eldrazi, so we showed that up in the dual deck. And then, August 28th to the 30th, uh, was the 2015 World Championship at PAX. Um, so we actually had a giant, Magic uh, likes doing things at PAX. In 2015, we decided to do a giant reveal for um, Battle for Zendikar. In fact, if you have never seen, in fact, um, if you Google like PAX 2015 uh, Battle for Zendikar, you will see we had this cool thing where we had, um, I think it was Ulamog that was breaking out of like the window, like this giant statue. He was like half in, half out, and out on the street, he was like crushing a police car, and you know, it was really cool. So we spent that, and we had a giant blowout where we, we introduced for the very first time um, Battle for Zendikar. We had a big show that I took part of. Uh, I was on stage with Will Whedon, um, and uh, I did a whole podcast on this, by the way, if you want to hear it. If this sounds fun, you want to hear it all in detail. You can hear about how uh, uh, I, I practiced with Will Eden multiple times, only on the final show, him to say to me, I'm going to go somewhere different with this. <laughs> but it went well. It went well. It was fun. And it, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed Will. Will was fun. Um, anyway, uh, at the same event, we had the World Championships. Uh, so they played four formats of the World Championships. They did a Modern Masters Booster Draft. They played Modern. They did a Magic Origins Booster Draft. And they played Standard. Uh, and the finals were played in standard. So anyway, at it, uh, Seth Manfield from the USA defeats Owen Turnwald, also from the USA. So Owen would later get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, maybe one day Seth will. I don't think he's qualified yet. Um, anyway, both really good players, and it was uh, quite quite the finals. Um, and that was, a, that was a very interesting world. I mean, worlds got kind of overshadowed that year um, just because they were sort of stuck in the basement uh, of all the stuff that was going on. And... Uh, uh, the next year, in 2016, uh, which was last year for us, uh, we, we were a little bit better at, that. once again, the World Championship was at PAX, but we gave it a little bit more focus, a little more uh, spotlight, if you will, than we had the previous year. But that is from the 2016 podcast. We'll get to, we'll get to that. Um, but anyway, uh, that was a big PAX blowout. It was fun. Um, I had some busy, busy days. In fact, one of my days, I remember, I think I had to show up for, um, like, I had to show up at, like, I don't remember what it was. Some crazy, crazy early time, like 6.45 a.m. And then I left at like 11.30 p.m. I, I had a long day. Okay, but anyway, speaking of Battle for Zendikar, on September 20th, no, 26th, was the pre-release. October 2nd was the release of Battle for Zendikar. 274 cards? Yeah, 274 cards, 101 commons, 80 uncommons, 57 rares, 15 mythics, 25 land. Um, the land were full art land, by the way, for those that don't know that. That was a, a big hit. Uh, we had done that the first time in Zendikar and on the Travel Back. We also did it. Um, so Battle for Zendikar was, when we had left off, there was a cliffhanger. Um, what had happened was we came to Zendikar for Zendikar and Roar Wake, but we knew something was amiss. Oh, the Eldrazi had been trapped inside the world and why the world was going crazy. And so in Rise of the Eldrazi, um, a combination of some planeswalkers and... Uh, so I believe it was Jace, Chandra, and, and Sarkin had been kind of lured to a certain spot by Nicole Bolas, uh, made them unlock the door, if you will, to the jail. Uh, Nissa opened the door, thinking that the Eldrazi would flee her plane, and they would, it, the plane would be safe. It's not quite what happened. So anyway, they got free, and we kind of ended on this cliffhanger, like, what's going to happen to Zendikar? So we came back. It was time to see what had happened. So what had happened was the Eldrazi had kind of taken over the place and things were looking pretty grim for the, the natives of Zendikar, the Zendikari. But they had not given up the fight. And so we sort of told um, what we call a rebel story, kind of like Star Wars, where like uh, someone's in power and they are, have a great advantage, but you're, you, 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 you're rooting for the, the underdogs that are see if they can take back their world. Um, so this set uh, was the first set in the new two-block structure, although... It changed mid-design, which brought up some challenges. So there were a lot of mechanics in the set. Uh, I will run through them all. So Rally was a variant on the ally mechanic that you saw in original Zendikar. Um, just cleaned up a little bit 
And the original one only worked on your allies, but this one worked on all your creatures rather than just your allies. Um, but basically, Rally was when a, when a creature enters the battlefield, um, Rally says whenever this or another ally enters your battlefield, it does something that affects your creatures. Either it counts them or it, it doesn't an effect for them. It grants them all something. Uh, and that was Rally. Landfall came back. That was a popular mechanic. Landfall triggers whenever you play a land. Uh, Awaken was a spell mechanic that if you um, kicked the spell, if you paid extra mana for the spell, um, you animated, permanently animated a land. You put plus one, plus one counters on a land and, and animated it so you turned it into a creature. Still was a land, um, but now it could attack or block. Uh, Devoid was, the, the Odrazi were all colorless, but because we didn't want everything to be sort of what we call true colorless, um, we made a bunch of cards that were inspired by ghost, fi ghost fire from uh, uh, Rise of the Odrazi, no, I'm sorry, from Future Sight. Um, and Ghostfire was a colored spell, meaning it cost color to cast it, but was colorless. And there was a colorless theme that went on in the set, so Devoid played into that. Converge was the mechanic that made you count how many colors uh, of, the colors of mana you spent when you cast it, I think. Um, Ingest was the mechanic that um, made you um, exile cards off the top of your library. Oh, I'm sorry, not you. Made your opponent exile cards off the top of your library. And then processors were creatures that could eat cards in your opponent's exile. And by eating them, what it did is it put them into your opponent's graveyard. Um, but anyway, this was Ulamog set. Ulamog was the hungry one or the great eater or something. I'm blinking on his name. But he, uh, his big thing was he, you know, he, he consumed things. And so the Eldrazi were slowly eating the world of Zemekar. And so we wanted to capture the idea of Ulamog. At the time, he's the only Titan left. He's the only Eldrazi left. Uh, we later learned that's not completely correct. Uh, Emrakul had gotten lured away, and we learned about why that later in a different block. Um, but it uh, turns out that uh, Kozilek had gone underground, and he comes back in Born of the Gods. But anyway, um, this is the start of our story. We, uh, when the story begins, uh, various planeswalkers... Uh, I guess Gideon is the first one to realize this problem. Gideon goes to get help. He runs into Jace and Liliana. Jace volunteers to come help. Um, Liliana turns him down. Uh, they then go to Chandra, who turns him down. So just Gideon and Jace go to um, Zendikar. Uh, Nissa, as a native, already lives on Zendikar. Uh, Kiora, also a native of Zendikar, will later show up. Anyway, they fight. Uh, they meet up Nixilis, who uh, uses the opportunity to get back his spark. Uh, he almost defeats them. Chandra shows up at the last minute and saves the day. Uh, and then... Um, the Planeswalkers, through some, uh, using some knowledge that Jace had acquired, are able to defeat them in, well, that's the story in Born of the Gods. But anyway, this is the, the very beginning of the founding of the Gatewatch. They don't actually become the Gatewatch until Born of the Gods. Um, but this is the beginning where they first start coming together. Um, and like I said, it chock full of mechanics. Um, I don't think any other fun effects. So, uh, October 16th to the 18th was Pro Tour Battle for Zendikar in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here in the United States. Uh, it was Standard and Battle for Zendikar Booster Draft. And uh, uh, Kai, see if I can say his names correctly, Kazuyuki Takemura from Japan defeats Ryochi, Ryuichi Tamada from Japan. So there was a point in time on the Pro Tour where the Japanese were very dominant and having a Japanese on Japanese finals was happening all the time. Um, while the Japanese still are very good players, their dominance dipped a little bit over the years. Uh, more so other countries came up to meet their quality. It wasn't the Japanese got any worse, just other countries also got really good. Um, and uh, this was the first uh, all-Japanese finals in a while. Um, but anyway, once again, an exciting thing. So now we move to November 6th. So November 6th was the 2015 holiday gift box. So it is five boosters, 20 basic land, a foil scythe leopard from uh, Battle for Zendikar, and six il illustrated dividers in a fancy box. Um, this product was created because there are people, like your grandma, that like might know you're into magic but have no idea what to buy you. And what we wanted to do was make a product that very clearly told someone who had a loved one who played magic that they were looking for a gift. It said, hey, you want to get a gift? How about the 2015 holiday, Magic Holiday the Gathering gift box? Holiday gift box. 
ooh, I think they might like the how to get. So we wanted to make a product that was clean and clear to, for, to, to someone who didn't know much to buy, and that you, the magic player, if your grandma or somebody bought it for you, you go, oh, yay, this is something I, I would want. Um, we, we tried this product over many years, and the, the one thing that finally got us to succeed, interestingly enough, was the name. That whenever we got fancy with the name, you know, the beatdown box or whatever, people didn't understand the purpose of it. So the key to the success of the product was calling it the holiday gift box. Get it? It's a gift for the holidays. It's a holiday gift box. Um, and this was the first time, I think the first time we did the dividers, I think? Um, I know Ethan was in charge of making the, the dividers and I know he, he spent a lot of time figuring out like what dividers would you want and this and that. Um, oh, I, were the stickers? I think there were dividers that came with stickers that you put on the dividers, I think. Unless the stickers were next year. Anyway. Okay, moving on. November 13th was Commander 2015. So these were two color enemy Commander decks. There were five of them. Um, and the mechanics in them is they introduced experience counters. And the idea is experience counters stayed with you. So if your uh, Commander had, had activations that used experience counters, and then something happened to them and you had to recast them later, the experience, the experience counters were continuous. So the idea was your planeswalk, I mean, sorry, your commander kind of got stronger over time because even though he might die and come back, the thing that he referenced off of didn't go away. The experience counters didn't go away. Also, there's a mechanic called Myriad. Uh, creatures with Myriad attacked all, all players at once. So it, essentially it made a copy of every, of, made a copy of itself and then attacked all, every other creature. Um, so we had done a bunch of different commander decks, and this was, I think, the first time we had done the uh, enemy. Like I said earlier, with Dragons of Tarkir, we know we're kind of, there's a dearth of uh, enemy color, two, you know, two color enemy um, legendary cards. There's a lot more ally than enemy, so this product was helping try to alleviate some of that. Um, so the final event of the year, uh, December 11th through the 13th in Barcelona, Spain was the World Magic Cup. So for those that don't know, um, we, uh, the World Championship broke up into two pieces. There's the World Championships, which took place at PAX in this year, which is an invite-only tournament. Uh, originally it was 16, and now it's up to 24. Um, it's an invitational event. And then the Magic World Cup is the team event, in which uh, I think at the time it was top four. I now think it's top three. Um, anyway... Uh, at least back in 2015, the top four people that apply, that um, at the, or, uh, uh, the way it worked back then was we had spe three special events in your country, and it was the winners of those three events plus the, your captain was the pro player that had the most pro points um, from that country. And anyway, um, uh, so the formats were Battle for Zendikar, Team Sealed, and Team Unified Standard Constructed. So what that meant is uh, Team Sealed is we give you a whole bunch of cards, your team divvies them up uh, into three pools. So the way it worked, by the way, is at any one point in time, three people would play and one person would be the coach. So the, the, that way there was the best two out of three matches. Um, and then you had somebody who got a float being the coach, and it's actually kind of fun being the coach. So Team Sealed means you you get a whole bunch of cards for your, for your country. You build three limited decks. Um, standard team constructed means you're building three constructed decks. Um, and not only are they each standard, but if you stack them on top of each other, all of them together are standard legal. So not only must each deck be standard, but all the decks together have to be standard, meaning you only get four copies of every card. Um, so if you put two copies in one deck, you could put two copies in another deck. Um, but you can't have more than four copies of anything, you know, other than basic land between the three decks. Um, so both events were very, very team-oriented. Um, both uh, Team Sealed and uh, Team Constructed are really cool in that they have a lot of inter interactive play. Um, and the way it would work is three people would sit down, they would play three people from the other team, um, and then the coach would be able to talk to... I mean, the players could talk to themselves... But there was a coach that was focused on going around and making sure everything was okay. Um, so anyway, at the 2015 Magic World Cup, uh, I'm sorry, the World Magic Cup, got to say that correct, uh, Italy defeated Thailand. I think this is the first time either of those was in the finals, I believe. 
Um, so Italy, I'm going to, I apologize, I'm doing my best to say these names. Um, so Italy was Marco Camelucci, William Pizzi, Francesco Bifero, and Andrea Magucci. Uh, those were the winners. And then the second place team, Thailand. Okay, I really apologize for these. Uh, Virapat Sirolatavarakul, Akaresh Sorakup, uh, Sutupung Papatugagol, and Cham Pasadaparcha. Parcha. Parcha. I apologize. I, I mangled those names. Um, anyway, that was um, the final. So, uh, uh, Italy defeated Thailand. So, th that's, by the way, a really fun event. I've gone to a couple of um, World Magic Cups, and it is just real neat. Uh, there's a lot of team nationality spirit. Um, the teams usually dress up in some, you know, uniform of their country. Um, so, it's just fun to watch, and it's fun to, you know, they, they get really, you know... It, it, it's just a, it's a neat event, and it's, it's fun. We don't have a lot of team events in Magic. There's some, but this is probably kind of the, the high pinnacle of team events in Magic, and it's really cool to watch. So anyway, to recap the year, I'm almost done here. Uh, 2015, we, we had a chock full of stuff. So once again, Fate Reforged came out. Uh, we had uh, Pro Tour Fate Reforged. We had Dual Decks from Elsbeth versus Kiora. Um, Dragon Center Kira came out. We, uh, so the Pro Tour of Freight Reforged was in Washington, D.C. We had a Pro Tour of Dragon's Heart Cure in Brussels. Um, we saw a Tempest Remastered. We saw Modern Masters 2015 come out. We saw Magic Origins come out, uh, including the Deck Builder. Um, we saw Pro Tour Magic Origins. Um, we saw a Dual Decks Zendikar versus Eldrazi. We saw the PAX event happen where we introduced it. And we saw the World Championship happen at PAX. Um, we saw the release of Battle for Zendikar. We saw Pro Tour Battle Zendikar in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We had the Holiday Gift Box. We had Commander 2015. And we had the World Magic Cup in Barcelona, Spain. Woo! That was a lot of stuff to happen. Um, so anyway, as I, I said in the beginning, um, I will eventually get to all the years. Um, I, I still got 2016 left. Probably before this year's up, I'll do 2016. And then we'll be reduced to one a year since uh, once I'm caught up, I can only uh, do the previous year. Um, but the plan is to continue these. I will continue them. Um, probably what I'm going to do is, like, I'll do 2017 late in 2018 to give you guys a little bit of time for 2017 to go by. Um, but anyway, I've been told a lot of people like this series. So um, as we get closer to modern day, I hope you continue to, to enjoy it. And that was 2015. It was a, it was a good, good year. Um, as you can see, by the way, if you watch the evolution, how we just, there's more and more product getting put out. So, uh, there was a lot more to talk about, a lot more stuff. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed, uh, 2015. But I'm now driving up to Rachel's school. So we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking about magic in all its history, uh, it's time for me to be making magic. So we can create even more history. Um, anyway, thanks for joining me. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.